Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Extra Time. I'm Barry Guy. In this programme, we'll hear from the Black Caps after their first test success against the West Indies. Is it onwards and upwards for them? The Football World Cup is underway in Brazil, and what pressure is there for the home side to win again? In netball, the Commonwealth Games squad has been named. We'll hear from one of the newcomers, while the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic fight for a grand final spot in the ANZ Championship. And there is more than just one big game of rugby on in New Zealand. The New Zealand cricketers recorded just their second ever test win in the Caribbean with a 186-run victory over the West Indies in Jamaica. It sets them up nicely for the rest of the three-match series as New Zealand attempts to win their first away series consisting of three or more tests since 1999. I spoke with coach Mike Hessen about the form they've been able to continue from their fine summer here particularly their batting, which resulted in 508 runs being scored in their first innings. You know, our target is always to try and get more than 400 in the first innings of a test match, and if you're able to do that, you're able to, to dominate games and sort of dictate the, the way the game evolves. So, you know, we've been able to do that, you know, consistently over the last 12 months, and, you know, we'll be looking to try and do the same in Trinidad. I suppose, uh, you know, the, the batters have all been good, but Peter Fulton, though, perhaps uh, didn't have a great test. Oh, look, it's difficult for uh, for everyone to have a great test. I mean, it was a really good team performance, you know, in Jamaica, and, and not everyone's going uh, to get a score. But, you know, Peter didn't have his, his best game, but it was a very, very good team performance. So certainly hard to single out one or two people. And because of that, I mean, you've got the, you know, a, a good side perhaps that you'd use again in the second test? Oh, we'll, we'll wait till we get to Trinidad and sort of assess conditions and, um, you know, we'll pick who we think is our best team for the conditions. But, um, you know, we, we won't make a heck of a lot of changes. There's no, you know, we certainly won't do that. But, you know, there might be a little bit of tweaking depending on conditions. But momentum and psychologically and, you know, perhaps you've had the wood on the West Indies, that must be great going into Trinidad and Tobago. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it sort of depends how they respond. I mean, I, I expect they'll respond and come back harder at us. I mean, that's what, you know, good sides do. And, you know, they're a pretty proud nation over here and, and they certainly got, you know, a bit of a razzing from the the public over here. So they're, um, I'm sure they'll come back harder and um, and ask us some pretty tough questions in Trinidad. So we've got to make sure we're ready for that. And the uh, two spin bowlers, East Sodi and uh, Mark Craig, uh, did particularly well. You must be encouraged by that. Well, I think especially, you know, heading into it, everyone's talking about our exper- uh, inexperienced spinners and you know, how they're going to cope, and um, the fact that both of them have played a major role in us winning a test match is, you know, significant for their de- development. So um, both of them bowled, you know, each didn't bowl so well in the first innings, but I thought he bowled superbly yesterday, and Mark was very good throughout. So, yeah, it was it was really pleasing for our team that, you know, two spinners wrap up a test match uh, in the fourth innings. Tell us about uh, Mark Craig. I mean, he's 27, so he's not young. Has that helped him, you know, a little bit more mature and, you know, perhaps can handle things? Yeah, I think so. I think he's he is quite a mature guy. He's 
you know, he hasn't played a lot of cricket, but he's sort of been around the fringes for quite a long period of time at, at a first-class level. Um, you know, hadn't quite got, you know, due to his, his illness, you know, around 2008-2009, you know, he missed out on a bit of cricket, and then the fact he came back 2011 and, and has played uh, quite a bit of cricket since then, you know, he's he was ready to go, but I, I don't think we expected him to be quite as calm as he was during this test, and, you know, he was he was outstanding. Tom Latham, too, he grafted out a couple of good innings. Yeah, I think he's a bit better than that. I think he, you know, in those conditions, I think his decision-making was excellent. Technically, he was, you know, he showed he, he belongs. And for a guy playing the second test match, just his composure, it's, it's as good as it gets, really. I mean, both two innings under pressure and, you know, he, he played the conditions extremely well. And we commented here, too, uh, the performance of BJ Watling behind the uh, stumps. Uh, he seemed to have a great test. Yeah, delighted you. You know, people noticed him because his, you know, his keeping during this Test match was, you know, was top rate. And um, you know, guys that understand keeping and have been around a bit sort of have been talking about how good he, how good he's become. And you know, some of the catches he took, you know, show what a quality keeper he is. And he's an integral part of our side. I mean, even with the bat, he, you know, he played a crucial innings in the first innings. You know, really selfless the way he went about it. And, and as we led up to a de- declaration and. You know, he's a great team man and delighted that his keeping's evolving the way it is. I suppose it's great that you're taking all these good things into the next test uh, um, and that the players, I'm assuming, can try and just uh, continue those standards to, uh, you know, not let them slip. Oh, look, but we, you know, we try and do that every day, but, you know, often you know, there's two sides playing the game and top sides in the world only win 60% of their games, so you're not going to win all the time and... If we're consistent in our performance, then you know we're we're comfortable with that. Obviously, we try and win every game, but it doesn't quite work that way. But you know we can control our performance, and that's that's what we spend our time doing. The media here has mentioned the fact that I think it was '99, the last overseas series victory. Has that been talked about? Uh, yeah, it has actually. You know we're well aware of our history, and you know we're well aware of, of the history heading into this tour. You know we've won once over here in 40 years, so. It's a tough place to come and it's a tough place to win. So, you know, we, we enjoyed um, last night and the way we've played over the last four days. But, um, you know, we're well aware we've got an opportunity to try and win a series. And that's, you know, that'll be our focus for the next couple of weeks. That's Mike Hesson and you're listening to Extra Time. The 2014 FIFA World Cup is underway. And on July 13th, two teams will meet in the final. There have been major delays to the building of new stadiums, while several construction workers have also died. On top of this, FIFA's now embroiled in allegations of corruption over the awarding of the 2022 tournament in Qatar. Amidst all of this, though, there is a football tournament on, and sports reporter Stephen Hewson looks at the likely title contenders. It's stabbed away uncomfortably to Fabregas. Surely now, surely now, Spain have won the World Cup for the first time in history. 32 teams are chasing the trophy which Spain won four years ago in South Africa and represents world football supremacy. But only eight nations have won the trophy since it was first played for in 1930 and hosts Brazil are the most successful, having won it five times. They are again among the perennial favourites along with Spain, Argentina and Germany. However, former England striker Gary Lineker believes the pressure of hosting the tournament may be too much for Brazil. just got a feeling this might be Messi's time and Argentina, they've got some brilliant forward players 
a little bit lightweight defensively, um, but they've got a good coach now, and they've got a nice easy group, so they'll definitely get to the knockout stages without probably wasting too much energy. But the former United States goalkeeper Brad Friedel disagrees. I'm having a hard time looking past Brazil. I thought that the Confederations Cup was a little dry run for them, and I thought Scolari dealt with all the help the team deal with all the elements quite well and I think he's going to be uh, that experienced leader again to uh, to lead them through again. The poster boy for the tournament is undoubtedly the Brazilian striker Neymar and much rests on him if Brazil are to win its first title since 2002 says the BBC's football reporter John Bennett. Just had a walk to the Copacabana beach where they've built a fan park for the fans and guess whose picture is everywhere? It's Neymar, he's nearly on every advert, his poster is everywhere and one of the big newspapers here, O Globo, have interviewed him. The headline is, Neymar, I don't feel under any pressure but driving around Rio you really get the sense that Brazil fans feel that he is carrying the hopes of a nation. The Brazilian football great Pelé though was hedging his bets. His words are translated. The two teams that are best, to my view, heading into the World Cup are Germany and Spain. Spain because it has a well-put-together team that's been playing for eight years, and Germany because they're playing really well. Now, one has to respect England and Italy because the World Cup is a box of surprises, and from Latin America, we can't forget about Argentina. So if the so-called experts can't agree, why not look elsewhere for some advice? Remember Paul the Octopus? The little German cephalopod had an uncanny knack of predicting results in 2010, even getting Spain's triumph in the final right. Paul died shortly after that World Cup, but this World Cup will not suffer for lack of an animal oracle, with Nelly the Elephant, also in Germany, predicting the German side will advance beyond the first stage. She made her picks after taking a few shots at goal. Science, too, has also got its pundits. Professor Stephen Hawking's come up with a formula that could help England's chances. Statistically, England's red kid is more successful than we should play. 4-3-3. The data shows we also need to hope for a European referee. They are more sympathetic to the English game and less sympathetic to ballerinas like Suarez. Even the bankers are having their two cents worth. Germany's biggest bank, Deutsche Bank's predicting England will win, largely based on the number of Liverpool players in the team. While Goldman Sachs is predicting Brazil will beat Argentina 3-1 in the final. Locally, the TAB lists Iran, Costa Rica and Honduras as the rank outsiders, offering odds of 2,000 to 1. So there's the advice, make of it what you will. Personally, I think I'll go with Nelly the Elephant. Stephen Hewson with that report. I spoke with the TAB's ambassador for the Football World Cup, the Phoenix player Paul Eiffel, about his picks for the event and that South American teams are favoured. Yeah, I have to agree. Um, no European side has ever won on South American soil, so I think it's going to come down to Brazil and, and Argentina final, I would imagine. Why is that? Is it just tough to play there? or did the... Very tough. Yeah, very tough. The crowd, the, uh, the humidity, you know, the conditions... Um, questionable refereeing decisions at times as well. So there's a lot um, in the South Americans' favour, definitely. So, what, uh, Brazil against Argentina, perhaps? That's what I've, that's what I've gone for. Um, I've done, had, a, had a go at the uh, 
One Shot in Five Million, which is um, the TAB's special feature for the World Cup, and you have to predict 64 games. Um, and if you manage to do so, um, you win five million dollars. And my prediction was Brazil, Argentina in the final there. What about uh, European teams? Uh, you know, Spain are defending champions. Uh, of course, you'll have some close links perhaps with England, but uh, Germany, all those sorts of teams? Yeah, Spain and Germany are definitely with big chances. Um, if I was back in the European team, it would be one of those two. Probably Spain because they've been there and done it. Um, Germany are looking pretty strong, but haven't, haven't got the strikers, I don't think, this time to trouble the, the top two or three. And England chances are pretty slim, I, I would imagine. And uh, also some interest, uh, you know, we're waiting for perhaps an African team to go a little bit further. Uh, you know, we've had the odd Asian team make a semi-final, but uh, discount those this time? Um, the Asian teams, I don't think, have any chance at all. Um, not particularly great warm-ups um, recently. Um, in terms of African teams, it wouldn't surprise me if um, the Ivory Coast did well. Um, I think they can get out of the group and, and you know, maybe progress to the quarterfinals. Um, Ghana have got a very tough group and so have Nigeria so it's going to be tough but if there's one to watch out for I think it'll be the Ivory Coast and a couple of individuals if you're picking Brazil against Argentina Neymar and um, Messi or is the media making too much of that no I think it's a big thing um, I would be picking uh, Messi over Neymar uh, most times to be honest so I'm, I'm fully expecting uh, Argentina to go to go further I think that the Argentinians just have better stock of strikers. Um, I think there's a lot of pressure on Brazil, a lot of pressure, particularly on Neymar. Whereas if you look at Argentina, they've got Messi and Aguero, um, Di Maria. They've got quite a few, you know, superstars in that in that squad. That's Paul Eiffel. The All Blacks are under pressure for a better performance in the second rugby test against England in Dunedin. The New Zealanders made many mistakes but squeezed out a win in Auckland. Whatever the result, Dunedin businesses should be well satisfied. Here's our Otago reporter, Ian Telfer. Dunedin's Carisbrook House of Pain days are a distant memory, and the All Blacks no longer talk about any southern game advantage. But local hero Ben Smith, starting for the first time in his favourite full-back position, says Dunedin's unique covered stadium will add to the game's energy and speed. You know, you score a lot more points in the stadium and, and there's a few more tries scored, so it's a, a great place to play rugby. It's great for fans to watch a game there and it's yeah, a good chance for us to you know, put, it, put out a good performance on Saturday. The English team was last in the city three years ago for the Rugby World Cup, winning its three pool matches but remembered for wayward goal-kicking without weather-related excuses. Since then, other sides' poor kicking started talk of a mysterious wind effect. England's coach, Stuart Lancaster's not buying into that. He says the team's preparing as normal. Nothing out of the ordinary other than, obviously, we'll go there for the captain's run. I'm sure Owen will take his time, as will all the kickers, and practice under the roof. It's an uncontrollable, really, you know, in the sense that the conditions are going to be the conditions, and I can't believe the roof can make a difference to whether you can get the ball through the post or not. The match is a sellout attracting a crowd of more than 28,000 people, including 1,000 overseas visitors, mostly English. The chief executive of stadium manager Dunedin Venues, Terry Davies, says that makes the test a massive event for the city. You're looking at almost 50% uh, tickets sold from outside of Dunedin with an economic benefit. Last year when we ran the numbers, it was about $8 million. So, you know, we'll be looking at those sorts of numbers again. Uh, so it's significant when you look at, you know, hotel, the impact that has on hotels, restaurants, uh, cabs, uh, you know, retail, it just keeps, the flow is incredible. Community events are popping up, from nude rugby matches 
to a polar plunge in the Southern Ocean of people dressed in black or Union Jack undies and singlets. The chief executive of the Otago Chamber of Commerce, John Christie, says all the hotels are fully booked and there's a buzz around town as 15,000 visitors arrive. And despite mixed feelings from ratepayers about the stadium's heavy costs, Mr Christie says it puts the city at the forefront of international sport. It is a new era. I think the stadium has really turned another chapter in that book and, and we've got a, a really remarkable stadium in terms of the facilities that are now available at a level that I think is um, what the international teams are, are wanting when they come into a city. As for the rugby, Mr Christie says there's a lot of interest in the match after last week's tight clash and he just hopes the All Blacks can play better. In Telford from Dunedin. Meanwhile, the Southbridge Rugby Club's Canterbury Combined Country Playoff against Glenmark is garnering more attention than usual this week, thanks to the return of one of the club's favourite sons. The 100-test veteran Dan Carter will start in the number 10 jersey for his childhood club in his first match back from a six-month sabbatical. Alex Coogan-Rees spoke to the Southbridge coach Doug McGuinness and asked what the excitement levels were like around the club. It's been a good week, eh? Like, we've sort of kept it on the down low a wee bit over the last two or three weeks because we've been sort of knew that this weekend was um, it's perhaps where Dan was planning to make a comeback. So we sort of haven't tried to distract the players too much, but once it was sort of confirmed, uh, yeah, the team's been fizzing really. So, yeah, it's all, all, all aims to be very positive. And I imagine it's not often you have to do too many media interviews the week of the game? Uh, no, no not, not at our level. <laughs> don't do too many at all. And as as coach, when uh, Dan comes to training, what do you sort of say to him? How do you how do you coach someone like Dan Carter? Oh, hey, yeah, look, sort of. We had a bit of a yak on Monday, and then, to be fair, Dan just wants to slot straight in, so he won't be changing much at all. Um, you'll just go straight in, and um, we'll just work through our patterns and what we normally do on any other Thursday night. And I'm sure Dan, being the player that he is, will be able to pick it up pretty quick. Yeah, have you sent him a fat playbook with all the backline moves that he's got to go home and learn? Oh, yeah, sure, he'll be a wee bit of that. Um, There'll be a little bit of covering some stuff off tonight, but um, it'll be nothing that he hasn't seen before, I'm sure. So, Cool, and does, is he pretty familiar with most of the team, or are there handshakes all around at training? Uh, yeah, he knows. Obviously, being local out there originally, and he's grown up with a lot of the guys, and some of them are still playing, so... He'll, he'll know half a dozen of them, but there'll be a few handshakes as well. So, which is, you know, the players that are, that are new to the area uh, are the ones that are probably more excited than, than most. Yeah, I guess um, is a, a bit of a buzz for those guys that um, the idea that they're playing with a hundred test all black. Yeah, absolutely. You know, you just you just tell it's sort of it's quite funny, eh? They've been. Um, Obviously, they've sort of heard the whispers for a bit and uh, they've been sort of politely coming up to me after training and to make sure they're in the right frame of mind and make sure that, um, that they're on my mind so I select them, really. So, yeah, it'd be quite funny. Yeah, I guess this is the, the game of the year everyone wants to play for. Well, yeah, well, yes and no. I mean, we'd like to have been a final, I suppose, but this year just quite hasn't been our year, so... You know, if we can't play in a final, then this is probably the next best thing, that's for sure. I guess the only guy that it's a bit tough on is the guy that's been wearing 10 for you the rest of the season. How's he taking it? Oh, no, he's, yeah, hey, look, Shannon, who's our, our regular number 10, is also our captain. So it's, it's actually created a bit of a selection dilemma. So after having a, we had a good chat 
yesterday about it on the phone. And so all we're going to do really, Shannon's going to play, but he's just going to play at second five eight and just shuffle everybody out one. And I think it'll be a great chance for Shannon to to be alongside Dan, so he can learn a bit. And it's also quite handy for Dan to have the guy that usually calls the shots right beside him. So I think it's sort of best of both worlds, really. And um, how 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 much are you expecting him to play? You're going to give him a full eighty, or will he need to be yanked at half time? Well, he, he's what he told me the other night. He's, he's at least going to play forty, um, and he'll just monitor it from there. That's the plan at this stage. Um, he's a little bit concerned that the ground could be just a wee bit heavier than perhaps he's normal. Um, so he'll just he'll just monitor as he goes. And if you, you know if he wants to play more than forty, well that's fine. We've um, we've got plans in place to cover that as well. So. At this stage, we're just looking at um, at the forty minutes. Are you going to have to have a couple of, couple of guys uh, guard guard dogging him and making sure there's no dirty play at the bottom of rucks with someone. Oh yeah, hey look, if he's wearing blue and white, um, there'll be plenty of guys on the paddock that'll that'll back him up if things get a bit uh, get a bit crazy out there. So I'm sure the guys will uh, will have his back, no problem at all. Do you think there'd be a danger of that uh, from this other club? Someone wanting to make a name for himself or, you know, take out an All Black? No, I'm sure not. I think, I mean, Denmark in the same position as us. I think they're really looking forward to it, really, and they just, I think they want to get in and have a great game and and just be part of the part of the atmosphere. I, I'm sure they won't be there to target him. Cool. And how great is it, do you think, just for club rugby in general, that there's still the opportunity, you know, something from days gone by, I guess, with All Blacks coming back to play for their clubs. It doesn't happen very often now, so um, pretty special. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, it's great not just for our club, but for all club rugby. If it could happen more often, it would be magic. You know I mean? So, um, you know, I hope, I hope in the future that All Blacks are still allowed to play club rugby, and I think perhaps it should be almost in their contracts that they all play at least one club game a year. I think, I think that would be fantastic. And you're expecting um, a packed club rooms and to do a good trade over the bar after the game? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we're um, we're not charging to get in tomorrow, for what I understand. But we're going to be sort of um, running some some buckets around for donations for a few for a few charities, which I think is a great idea. That sort of allows the, the locals as well as others out of the area to, you know, they shouldn't have to charge, you know, they shouldn't have to pay. Sorry to um, to see an All Black, I think, especially the locals. So. Um, you know, obviously a few people around, we can we can sell a few pies and a few hot dogs and a few beers as well. So, you know, we've got a chance to make a dollar out of it. Doug McGuinness from the Southbridge Rugby Club. A 12-strong Silver Fern squad has been named to defend their Commonwealth Games gold medal in Glasgow next month with just one new cap. Versatile Waikato Bay Plenty Magic shooter Alan Halpenny joins after a strong trans-Tasman netball season with Ferns coach Wai Tomanu saying she's in as cover for both the goal shoot and goal attack positions. 23-year-old Hal Penny told our reporter Richard Wayne that making the ferns is a dream come true. still can't believe it. still think it's a little bit of a dream, but I'm just so excited and I just feel so lucky that I get to represent my country. You've been playing netball for a long time, I imagine. Have you always wanted to be a silver fern? Yes, I've always wanted to be a silver fern. I went to um, the games in Christchurch and had my face painted and my we had a wig on. Like just been a massive supporter of them ever since I was little. You're coming into what uh, there's four shoes, I think, going to the games. Um, with Irene gone, and I suppose only probably Maria definitely confirmed as the starting goal attack there. Do you think there's a bib up for grabs here, maybe? 
you never know what the coaches are thinking, but I think you've just got to train hard, work hard, and put everything that you've got out there so that you're selected in that bib. Now, the Commonwealth Games, obviously, you'll be part of a wider team. You're quite excited about the whole you know, New Zealand team, part of a bigger New Zealand team heading to Glasgow. Yeah, I've always wanted to go to the Com Games. It's been a dream of mine again, and oh, I, I can't believe I get to like, sing the national anthem with everybody and just like all those little things that... Joe Blog can't do, but you do. You get to do because you're on the Com Games team. Like it's just amazing. The Commonwealth Games is up there with the World Champs for netball, isn't it? Um, and of course, you haven't been to a World Champs with the Silver Ferns yet, so this will be the biggest competition you've ever been to. Yeah, it's definitely the biggest competition I've been to. The only other competition you could kind of compare it to would be Fast Five, but it's definitely nothing like the Com Games. <laughs> Are you anticipating it'll be you guys versus Australia in the final, or is it going to be tougher than that to get there? Oh, I don't know, Jamaica and England have got some really good players and with the English girls coming out in the ANZ League and playing so well, that team's also looking really good, but just, you never know what happens. Yeah, absolutely. The English have come up, haven't they? The standard seems to be growing every year by year with netball across the international game. Yeah, they have. I think they've got a lot of money being put into their funding and I think that's paid off, but definitely the girls being in ANZ has definitely helped. How do you find the Australian defenders as a shooter? Do you think they're um, borderline over the edge with the rules most of the time? No, I think they just play a really good one-on-one defence and they're really good at it. And They're really good at it because that's what they do from a very young age and they learn little tactics which the coaches may put in place for them but good on them if they're that clever and I say good on them because if I could do that I'd get it and get away with it, I'd be okay. <laughs> I'd get some more ball. <laughs> Well, I hope it doesn't come down to the umpires because quite often there's, it's different from end to end, let alone between umpires and games, you know, isn't it? And it'd be a real shame if there was just some bad calls or something that decided this title this time. Yeah, the, um, umpiring is is really out of our control, so we can't really focus on that. But we've just got to make sure that the umpires aren't involved and that call won't affect the scoreline. So you've just got to keep going and. Don't expect anything because you're never going to get it. Actually, always good advice in any sport, isn't it? Just not ignore them, just respect them, but you yeah. can't, you can't you change can't what change they it. do. Can no, you can't. No. All right, well, um, how good would it be to not only make the Silver Ferns go to the Commonwealth Games, but take out that gold at the end of it? Oh, that is just the ultimate goal. It's the ultimate goal probably for this team. and I can see us doing it, but it's just going to take a lot of hard work and keep going on what's already been built in the past and just keep on going. <laughs> Do you think it might come down to who's a sort of a, more, a tighter team rather than who's got you know the better individuals like who's the more cohesive unit? Yeah definitely I think a, a tight team makes a team and I, I suppose you could compare that to Magic we've got a team a real team and so that would probably definitely help. And, uh, of course, you could do the double here, couldn't you? You could take out the ANZ Championship and then go and get the uh, Glasgow gold. Oh, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't jinx us. <laughs> yes, Ellen Halpenny is a key part of the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic who will take on the Queensland Firebirds in the ANZ Championship preliminary final on Monday. The winner will then go on to take on the Melbourne Vixens in the grand final. The Magic were beaten by the Firebirds in Hamilton earlier this month. However, Captain Casey Coppola told Joe Porter that last weekend's upset win of the New South Wales Swifts in the elimination final has given the Magic a shot of confidence heading into their do-or-die clash with the Firebirds in Brisbane. I think it gave us a lot. Um, you know, at one stage we were down by six goals, but I don't think, um, you know, everybody may have thought that, but it didn't show that, which is really good, um, you know, for each other to, um, you know, grow off. How do you overcome the Queensland side, given that in the past you have struggled against the Firebirds? 
Um, yeah, we certainly haven't um, got a good uh, track record against um, the Firebirds, um, but we sort of see, as, see it as a bit of revenge from a couple of weeks ago when we didn't. Uh, we performed better, but probably not as, as good as we could have. I guess that must give you an element of confidence, though, knowing that you didn't put your best foot forward in that match, but you you know you didn't fall too far behind the pace. Yeah, and it's and it's nothing you know nothing massive, no big game plan ch- um, changes or anything. It's just those small things and the crucial times. Um, and I think um, you know from the beginning of the season to the to now, um, our team is starting to be able to uh, control that and recognise those times. You talk about the beginning of the season. You guys weren't exactly given uh, the biggest chance of reaching the finals or, or challenging for the title. What do you think has changed or what has turned you into title contenders, kind of flying under the radar a little bit? Um, I think, you know, at the beginning, you know, there was no expectations and no pressure on us because everybody had written us off. Um, and, you know, we were playing netball uh, for fun and enjoyment and actually, um, you know, connecting, like, for the first time with each other and things like that. So... Um, that's something that we're trying to do now is just remember how what sort of netball team we wanted to be and, and how much fun we were having, and, and that sort of showed in last week as well. Do you talk about proving people wrong or, or using that as motivation to lift you guys to another level? Um, I have We have a little bit, um, but it's more so just to prove ourselves to ourselves. Um, obviously, you know, people only see that 60 minutes on the court, and we have a lot of goals set um, and we're all going in the same direction and, and that's what you know we know what we want to achieve um, and, and that's all we're aiming for and obviously you know at the end of the day if we if we get a win then that's, yes. that's great. Under Julie Fitzgerald have things changed at all at the Magic and I guess what changes has, has she made to really help you combat those Australian teams? Um, I think you know Julie's brought some great ideas and um, you know new processes of way that things that are done um, but it's a bit of a, you know, like a hybrid of what we um, happens in Magic and sort of, you know, what, how Julie runs the show. So um, I think it's quite a good balance between the two. Um, and like I said, Julie has embra- embraced, you know, what's, what, what the what Waikato and Bayhafini is about. Um, and, and that's really cool to see. And that's how um, Magic, you know, wants to be remembered. The Magic have done relatively well in Australia compared to a lot of the other New Zealand teams. What do you think it is about your side that gives you confidence to win on Australian soil? Is it just the fact that you've done it before, so it's not new? I think it is. that Once you do it, obviously, it builds your confidence. But, you know, before this year, some of the girls had never even beaten an Australian team in New Zealand. So for them to, um, for that to happen for while they're a part of Magic is something huge and it gives them confidence. It's just the attitude of when you go over there or actually when you take the court, you bring your A game no matter what, no matter who you're playing, where you are, um, and you don't have a choice about it. That's that's what happens. You do have quite a few young players. How do you, as one of the uh, senior statesmen, shall we say, in the team, I guess... <laughs> how, how, I'm still young. <laughs> how do you, I guess, use your experience to try and calm some of the nerves that the younger younger players have coming up against Queensland and Australia, which is obviously a, a huge ask? Yeah, oh, obviously it is, it is a huge ask for us to go over there. And um, I think individuals um, you know, deal with it differently, but just... Um, um, you know, making sure that I'm approachable if they have any questions that they want to ask. But um, what, what I sort of said last week was, at the end of the day, we are here as a team to do the job. Um, and then if you remember back when you were a little girl, how how um, exciting, how much you wanted to be a part of us. So just trying to, um, you know, make sure that they realise this isn't just any other game. This is, this is the big time for netball. Casey Copper were talking to Joe Porter. 
This is Extra Time. The New Zealand equestrian Jock Padgett says he's preparing for the World Games in France in August. After almost nine months under a doping cloud, Padgett will return to action in England this week after the FEI Tribunal lifted his provisional suspension pending the release of their full ruling. Padgett had his Burley title stripped after his horse, Clifton Promise, failed a post-event drugs test last September. I spoke with Padgett just after his suspension was lifted. Obviously, yeah, I was very positive, made my day. Um, I won't won't start packing my bags yet for the World Championships, but um, it certainly allows me to start my preparation and um, very much a step in the right direction. Has this been, you know, because of the World Games coming up, has, has what happened almost been a, you know, a derailing of your career just about? Yeah, it certainly stopped the momentum. You know, things were going quite well. Um, was was obviously um, a dead end for a while and, and a big shock to my team and um, sort of everyone around us. But um, I don't think it's derailed much. You know, my, my horses are all going very well. We've been working very hard. We've used the time to work on the finer details that you don't normally get to work on whilst you're in the competition season. So it's it's good to, uh, particularly with Promise as well, I've been able to work on the little pieces of his dressage test, which um, I've kind of left left at, at good enough because it's you know, they, they become um, time-consuming and sometimes you have to take a step backwards before you can take two forwards. Um, but, you know, now it's, it's been a great time for me to work on those little things and you know, I'm, I'm hoping he's going to come back better than he's ever been. So in, in some ways... In some ways it's been good, but certainly in most ways it's been bad. So you've had this uh, ban lifted, but the, the full outcome of the hearing hasn't been made uh, public yet. Do you expect to be fully exonerated? It's hard to say. You know, I've never been in this position before, obviously. Um, I think it's a good sign, obviously, lifting the provisional suspension for us and, and allowing us to get back to what we do. Um, I won't say I expect anything, um, I'd like to think that I'm going to get fully exonerated and, and you know, we, we obviously have a fantastic case that we've put forward and um, we just have to wait and see. But, you know, these these procedures are very new to me and, and I don't know what to expect, to tell you the truth. Uh, the mere fact that uh, the horse did have a substance in it, though, must, you know, still be of some concern. You know, we never contested, we never contested that with... with um, the A test and the B test coming back positive, the substance was in the horse, um, and and obviously there's a concern, and that's the reason for this whole problem, and and you know for this last nine months of um, you know not being able to compete and everything, but you know unfortunately that is that is what we're up against. So, how do you feel now about uh, possible selection for the World Games? Selection for the World Games, I mean, it's, these things are always something that tends to, um, I think the teams pick themselves at the end of the day. The horses that are on, on good form with good records and are sound and healthy on the day will, will be chosen. And, you know, if we're lucky enough to have uh, lots of horses to choose from, then that'll be great. I, I think Promise is obviously a very good horse and he's got a, a very good track record and I think if, if I prepare him as best I can and, and he's sound and healthy on the day then I think he has a great chance. 
you don't feel you need to, uh, or the horse needs to prove itself again? I don't think, personally, no, I don't think he needs to prove himself again. I mean, his, his track record at four-star level is is pretty good. And, um, you know, his last three four-stars, he's been second, first, and first, although his last one was disqualified. But, um, you know, his, his track record over the last few years has been pretty good, and I don't think he has much to prove. Um, I think the most important thing that I can do for him is prepare him the best way possible to make sure that he has his best performance at the World Championships, not leading up to it. So from what I take from what you've said, you feel confident that you would be selected for the World Games, but you know who knows what might happen when it comes to a judicial-type hearing? Well, like I say, as far as the final outcome comes, you know, I'm hopeful that they are going to come back and we'll, I'll be exonerated. Um, but I don't know. You know, this is this is a process that I haven't been through before. It's obviously a positive sign that they've come back and lifted the provisional suspension. But like I say, I won't I won't be assuming that of being exonerated. I'll wait wait until the day and and see what they come back with. But I am preparing right now as if I'm going to the World Championships because I have no choice. That's Jock Padgett, and that's extra time for this week. You can get all your sporting information on the Radio New Zealand website. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.